Hallelujah. It's through faith. <laughs> I hope you've got your ears of faith open this morning. The hearing. He said to the Pharisees so many times, ears but don't hear, eyes don't see, don't understand. It's the eyes of faith, seeing what God, God in his word has prepared for us this morning. This morning when we were singing one of the songs, which I didn't know over, overly well, we realised we missed Joanna. <laughs> right? You see, and, and many of us, we, 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 uh, we wonder about these things, don't we? What God's up to. And some find it difficult. Um, but you see, our faith is not based on our circumstances. Our faith is based on a person. Our faith is not based on a little Bible verse, but my faith is based on the person who spoke the Bible verse. And there's a, there's a subtle difference, but it's enormous. Because it's the person, not just what a person said. Someone will shoot me, maybe, when I say, Jesus' blood was no different than Alan's blood or my blood, but because it was his blood, that's what made the difference. It was the person's blood, not what it contained. It was exactly the same, because it was ordinary human blood. But it was the person's, who, who the person's blood it was, wasn't it? It's the person's blood. You see, it's the person. It's always him. Our faith is built on two things, Peter says. It's on history and prophecy. History and prophecy. We read this in Peter, in second chapter, second epistle of Peter, the first chapter. Peter's saying, while you're finding your verses in earlier on, he says, I'm going to be going away soon. I'm putting off his tabernacle, I'm, which means he's going to die. God's going to take him away. After my decease, after I've gone, I'm not being here to tell you anything. But the history and the prophecy still will be. Because he was worried about them getting taken off into various fables. And so what does he say? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. It was history in his life. Eyewitnesses to his majesty. He'd seen what he said. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were within the Holy Mount. So he's going back to history, his history. And that's what we do, don't we? In our history we go back to the time when God saved us when we find it difficult. I knew that day that he touched my life. Whatever I feel like now, whatever's going on, I know he chose me. So we go back to our history, but we don't have just our history, we have this, which is a history book of God working with his people. And we have the history of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And no historian any worth would deny the death and resurrection of Jesus. They can't do it. When they look at it logically, without any, any preconceived ideas, they find they can't deny it. There's a book called he, Who Moved the Stone, which is a chap who looked at it. Very clever chap. I remember his name, though. Who Moved the Stone? And he read the, started reading, Who Moved the Stone? And because he started looking in history, he found that it was God who moved the stone. And he became a Christian wasn't a Christian before, just by reading the Bible he found God, God found him 
because it was history, he couldn't deny it. And then also, he says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And what he's talking about there is until Jesus comes, the prophecy, you look at this and it will keep you. It will be a light unto your feet. It's words of prophecy. So our faith is built on what God has done and by what he's promised he'll do. Do you know there are 2,000, at least 2,500 prophecies in the Bible? And over 2,000 have already been fulfilled. Now, they're not like the prophecies where you get Nostradamus, where they sort of try and fit what he says to events. These prophecies are so exact, right down to the minute details, every time. Because God spoke them. We have a living God. We've been reading in Hebrews and some of the parts it talks about from dead works. But we come to a living God. We have a living God, don't we, this morning? Our faith is built on a living God, on a reality of how he moves in people's lives in the past and how we know he can move on my life now. So we can have, a, we can have this sure word of prophecy. What was it? Knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is for private interpretation. It's, not be, it's, not, it's for what it is. I'm not going to go into there. For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That mo- word move there means to be borne along by the Spirit of God. They weren't just have a little feeling... They were born along, and you've known when you've stood and spoke to someone. You feel born along by the, by the, work, the, the Spirit of God, don't you? He comes and he, you speak to somebody, and suddenly you're saying something completely different that you thought you were going to say, or something's happening, and you're doing something, and you're born along by that Spirit that comes on you. And that's what happens, happened to the prophets. And he caused them to say his word. He bypassed their minds, even though they were, he, he used, he's such a big God, he can do anything and he can speak through anybody. He, spoke, he even spoke through, the, through the, um, who, the, the Pharisee, didn't he? He prophesied about Jesus' death. The high priest. Even though he wanted to kill him and he didn't accept him. <laughs> Could God spoke through him. He moved him. He spoke this not because he was, he won, he was but because he was a high priest. And he was in an office, he was an anointed, and the anointing, like it said, the anointing carried him along. One area where God had told people to remember something was the Passover. When an event happened, God had said, I want you to remember about this. Many other places in Scripture. He talks about putting a pile of stones down. Put a pile of stones down. So you remember that God moved here. So that you can, when you think that things are going really bad, you can look at that pile of stones. You can celebrate this feast. You can hear about what God did. So that you don't fail in your faith. Because you you stop looking at your circumstances and you start looking at him, the one who comes to save us. And that's what it's wonderful, isn't it? That's what history does. This is what the Bible does for us. So, in the Passover, in Exodus 12, let's read a few verses in Exodus 12, because that's what the Passover is. The Passover is when the angel of death passed over. This is the angel of death was not the devil. The angel of death was God himself. I think it was Jesus. It was an angel sent from God because of the wrath of God on Pharaoh. It wasn't the devil, it was the wrath of God. And they passed, it passed over them because of the blood, and that's what happens to us. God's wrath passed over us because of his blood of his son. And so that's what it's looking towards. The whole of Passover is looking towards Christ. And we'll see today some of these things. So let's look at Exodus 12, where we start. Moses, the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So there was sudden a change. 
Now, we could talk a whole sermon about God speaking to Aaron and Moses in Egypt. He speaks, can't go there, it's too long. He speaks in your Egypt, in the world. He speaks in your life, in the world. People in the world, God can speak to them. He can speak to you in your world. It would be a beginning. He's changing. They're changing the calendar. He's changing their calendar. He said, this is going to be the first month, because it's important. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Then we'll go on in verse 6. Well, we can read it for you. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him be his neighbour next unto his house. Take it according to number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for a lamb. Now, lots of times in, in when they did sacrifices in, in the Old Testament, if you couldn't afford the animal, then you, had a, you went to have a bird if you couldn't afford a lamb or a bullock or this, that and the other. But here, it's most important that it's a lamb. Have you seen that? So if you can't afford a lamb, you go and get in with somebody else who can afford a lamb and you gather together three or four families. So you can afford a lamb. It's important that it's a lamb, isn't it? I've only just seen that. Right. And, uh, so that every man according to his eating shall make count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep, not from a goat, or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. You shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper door posts of the houses, wherein you shall eat it. And you shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs you shall eat it. You don't eat it raw or sodden, you don't boil it with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs and all the pertinence thereof, all the innards. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, that which remain of it shall be morning shall be burned. And you shall have your loins girded with your, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, this night, and smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both men and the beasts. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. And then it tells them what they're going to have to do. And there's a lot of, in the next chapter, you can go and read the next chapter. Now when they celebrated the Passover in the time of Jesus, it had evolved into, a, into a, a set of things that they did. And one of the things that they did is they read the Psalms. And, I, and it's called the Halal, H-E-L-L-E-L, the Halal, as in the meat, I think. And it's from Psalm 113, to Psalm 118. And they read all these psalms. So Jesus would have read these psalms. And so, if you were Alan's age, you would have read these psalms, even if you weren't a priest, 80-odd times. Or, well, maybe not quite 80, but you would have been exposed to them. Every year. But not only at Passover, at any big celebration, these psalms were read. So that people, everybody knew these psalms. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And they were read in different parts. And they were sung as well. And I think when Jesus went out and they sung a psalm, it was 118. But we won't, I won't get into that today. Remember they went out afterwards and they sung a psalm for him. So... So let's begin at Psalm 113. We're not going to read them all because it's too long. We haven't got that much time. The first psalm is the psalm of praise. They start with the psalm of praise. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, praise ye the servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So the first psalm is only nine verses. And he talks about, well, let's read it. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbles himself. This is an interesting little verse. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven. He has to look down and humble himself just to see the things in heaven, let alone the things on earth. He raises up the poor 
out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord! So you can imagine them singing that, can't you? And saying that. Oh, what a glorious passage to read. Then they go on to to Psalm 114. And it's a story of their deliverance. I'll read that because it's quite a short psalm. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of a strange language, that's out of of, um, Egypt. Judah was his sanctuary, Israel was his domain. So he, praise was their sanctuary. Israel, because he was a prince, was their domain. The sea saw it and fled back. Fled. Jordan was driven back. So he's talking about when they went over the Red Sea and when they went over Jordan. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Rams, little hills like lambs. This is sort of poetic language about everything was praising God when they... What aileth thee, O sea, that thou fled? Thou Jordan, that thou was driven back. What's wrong with you that you went back? Ye mountains, ye that skipped like rams, ye little hills like lambs, tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Now here he's talking about... You know he always says the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, never Abraham, Isaac and Israel, because he could deal with Jacob, and he wants us to know he's the God of Jacob, he's the God of people who don't deserve God. (laughs) Isn't he? He's the God of Israel, but he's also the God of Jacob. He can deal with us, even though we're supplanters and we, you know, we're conniving skivers and, you know, and schemers, aren't we? He can deal with us. That's why he says, that's why he says that. <laughs> Which turned the rock into standing water and the flint into fountains of water. There he's talking about when, he's, when God s- split the rocks and water poured out enough to feed a million people and all their animals. We forget about the animals, all their animals, all their food, everything, it poured out. So that's what, so that gives looks back in history at what God had done for them. Now the next chapter is about God is alive. He's not dead like the, like their, their gods. So the gods of Pharaoh, all the gods around you, the gods of Pharaoh, all the gods in the land you're coming to, he's saying they're not They're not like our God who's alive. Let's read a little tiny bit of that. Not unto us, but uh, unto us, Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sakes. Wherefore should the heathen say, where now is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he hath pleased. (laughs) Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They've got no mouths. They don't speak. They've got no ears. They don't hear. They've got no legs. They don't... They're not like our God. This is what they're talking about. It's our God who delivered them out of Egypt. They couldn't stop them. Their gods couldn't stop them coming out. And their gods couldn't stop them coming in. You see. So he's looking back and seeing. Then he goes on to Psalm 116. I love the Lord... Because he have heard my voice and my supplications. We have a personal God whom we love. Because he deals with us, and you read through the psalm, and it's all about how we trust God and how he always delivers us and looks after us. We come to Psalm 117, which is the shortest book in the Bible, and everybody can learn it. Praise ye the Lord, all ye people, praise him. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, and his Truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise ye the Lord. So it's a little interlude of praising the Lord and worshipping God. Wow. (laughs) Then we get to Psalm 118. 118 talks about his mercy endures forever. So let's start at the beginning, we won't read it all. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel say and his, that, that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say now that his mercy endures forever. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. For I called on the Lord in distress 
and the Lord answered me and set me in the large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me, therefore shall I see my desire upon them. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy or, or cut them off. They compass me about like bees. They, quenched, they are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. Wow. These are the verses that Jesus would have read on the day before he went to the cross. Wow. The Lord is my strength and my song, he's become my salvation. Wow. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the, in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. So look, he's beginning to look at, in, in some ways at prophecy, about being righteous. This is about Jesus. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now because that's about Jesus, it's about us as well. When we become Christians, we have eternal security and eternal life. Now we might die physically, but we're not. We're stuck with each other for eternity because we're all going to be living there. <laughs> the Lord have chastened me sore, sore but he's not giving me over to death. God chastened he didn't, he, 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 remember Jesus did, had, he had to be chastened. You read in Hebrews, you've been reading, haven't we? Hebrews, Jesus was chastened. He had to learn to be obedient. But he was completely obedient to his father. Now there's a prayer. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go in them. And praise the Lord. The gate of the Lord in which the righteous shall enter. Now we know the gate of the Lord is Jesus himself because he's the door. Hallelujah. I will praise thee for you've heard me and become my salvation. Hallelujah. When we start looking back, I want to move on a little bit not read well, let's just read through and then we'll, we'll go back a bit. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send no prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now we know where that comes from, don't we? That comes from the people with ch chanting Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. When Jesus came in to the inn from Bethany and into Jerusalem, it all showed me an interesting thing about this. Have you noticed in situations that everything seems to be going along all alright and suddenly an event happens which surprises everybody and suddenly it's all changed. I'm, I know I'm trying to think of a, a, a situation. The Berlin Wall. It was all going and nobody thought anything would change. And in a couple of days, it all changed. You see, and this is what happens. I want to show you a little passage. I want to take a detour for a minute. And I want to look. When we saw that there was a choosing of the lamb, the choosing of the lamb was on the tenth day of Nisan. And then it was kept until the 14th day, and then it was sacrificed. The 10th day was when Jesus walked from Bethany 
into Jerusalem. But something had gone on before that day. And let's have a look in John chapter 11. And you'll think it's an odd place to look at, at this. I was laying in bed on Friday morning, mulling, and I wasn't even thinking about anything. You know what it's like. And this just popped into my head. And I thought, ooh. A certain man who was sick named Lazarus. Now we know the story, don't we? Jesus waited four days. And Jesus said, This sickness is not under death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. When we look at in, so Jesus healed him. Now let's look in, over in verse 11, in chapter 11, verse 45. Uh, after, when he was, who was dead came forth, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away our place, both our place and our nation. And one of them, the high priest, Caiaphas, that being the high priest that year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, not considering that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake, not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death, and Jesus didn't walk openly anymore. So here's some seeds sown. They'd already been something going on, wasn't there? They didn't like Jesus. Jesus had told them twice in John's, in John's Gospel, you're ready to kill me. And they said, stop talking rubbish. We're not coming to kill you. He said it twice. In chapter 12, six days before the Passover, so that will be the ninth day, the ninth of Nisan, they made a supper. They came to Bethany where Lazarus was, was dead and who'd been raised, from, which had been dead and was raised. And they, and they made him a supper and Martha served and Lazarus was one of them that sat at table. And then we, took, we hear about the, 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 um, them anointing Jesus' feet. And Judas Iscariot pipes in. And it said, many people, in verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came out, for Je- not for Jesus' sake only, but also they might see Lazarus, also, who had been raised from the dead. Then on the next day, in verse 12, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. But if we go back and read, so they came from Lazarus's house. Maybe Lazarus was with them. But a huge crowd had gathered, not just because of Jesus, but because of Lazarus because he'd raised him from the dead. And it was Lazarus who was the, was the spark that began setting a seed for them to get on and doing what they, supposed to be, they thought they ought to do with Jesus. That's 17, 8. So in Luke 19, have we read 12, 13, Well, I'm just going to go back to, don't worry, I'm just going back to 12. It doesn't bring two verses. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how you prevail nothing, ye behold, the world's gone after him. So, you see, that, that miracle precipitated them wanting to kill Jesus. No wonder he said this miracle was to glorify God and to glorify the Son of Man. It wasn't just he was looking to his death. Yeah, now we'll go to Luke 19. 
There were so many verses we could have used in passages because of the, the four different accounts. Luke 19, 47. Jesus had gone into the, into, the, into the temple, we'll read a bit more about it, and said this, you made my house a den of thieves. And it says, he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And in verse 20, and they watched him and sent forth spies, which should find themselves just men, they might take hold of his word, so they might deliver him into the power and the authority of the governor. So him coming in, him coming in, openly like that, they said, it had suddenly changed. It wasn't a thought in the, in the future that they have to get rid of him. They're going to have to do it now. And so that's when the lamb was chosen, on the 10th, on the day he comes in. And we can, I'm going to read a bit from uh, Matthew now, and we're going to read when Jesus came in. Do you see how the, the prophecies all come together in Christ here? How the whole of the power, we can't talk, I'll just be looking at the, the enormous amount of the Passover prefigures Jesus in so many parts of it. It is absolutely wonderful. Well, I wouldn't say go and take, keep a Passover, but uh, Matthew 21. When Jesus drew nigh unto Jerusalem, so he'd come, he'd come from Bethany and he'd come over the hill of Mount of Olives. He came to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives and he sent two of his disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway I will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king comes unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, a colt of an ass. That's in Zechariah 9, 9. If you want to look at that. And his disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they bought an ass and a colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewn them in the way. And the multitudes that went before him that followed cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they were coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Then he goes in and throws all the money changers out. And because when you read all the passages together, you get a bit of a bigger picture. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things which he did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. I'm going to read Psalm 118 out of an NIV. This is a variant thing. Hosanna, what does Hosanna mean? Who knows what Hosanna means? Yeah? We sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Do you know that chorus in the Praise to the Lord. Is that what it means? It means save us. It's a prayer. Save us, O Lord. That's what it means. Save us, O Lord. So when they saw them coming in, they knew. They knew what the people were saying. That this is the Messiah coming and they thought they were going to make him their king. And that's why they had to get rid of him. Because they saw... But when they chose him to kill him that day, they were choosing the lamb on the tenth day, five days before the Passover. They were choosing the lamb. Now God had chosen him before the foundations of the earth that his blood would be shed. But that day they chose 
this is the time, this is the day. It all suddenly changed. That which they'd thought about for a long time suddenly became and they really went for it. Now, let's look at this. O Lord, save us. This is Hosanna. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. That's a variant translation. Can you see? Can you see that they so the children were in the temple? They come with their bows. Save us, Lord. Isn't that wonderful? How accurate the scriptures are. Right down them going into the temple. But it also talks about him binding him to the cross and sacrificing. Bind him to the sacrifice. You see, that's why he said the next day the stone which the builders rejected has become head of the corner. Because they knew. And everybody else knew. Didn't they? Open up the gates of righteousness for me. And I will, end, I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate, the Lord, for which the righteous may enter. The stone which the builders rejected. It's so clear. We know that we are. He is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of our faith. He is what we're built on. He's become the cornerstone of everything of our lives. Isn't that wonderful what he's done for us? Isn't it wonderful? You see, this is what has happened with us. Now, one other thing that happened when they read the Psalms, there was four cups. Now, we read of, of two cups when Jesus spoke. In, in Luke, he, took, he says he took a cup and then later on he says, he took the cup and gave thanks. So there were two cups. That was the first cup. And these cups related to a verse in, in uh, Exodus 6 where God had promised what he was going to do. Exodus 6, 6. Easy to remember. This is what the cups meant. There were four cups. The first cup was... Therefore, say unto the children, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So that was the first cup. The second cup was, I will rid you out of their bondage. I will take you out of bondage. The third cup, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. And the fourth cup, I will take you to me for a people. That was the fourth cup. Now, do you remember Jesus took the third cup and he said, this is the cup of the new cover, which I drink with you. But I'm not going to drink. This is the last time I'm going to drink. I will drink it in heaven. The next cup, the fourth cup, he would drink in heaven with us because he will redeem us as a people to himself. So it's looking back at the history and it's looking at the prophecy. Both things are really, really important, looking back and looking forward. So these verses in, in the Psalms look back and they look forward at the same time, at the coming of Jesus. So Jesus said, I won't drink this cup. Remember? He said, I won't drink this wine with you until I drink it new in the kingdom. And that was the fourth cup, which is the cup of our... Of, um, the four cups. Let's look at the four cups. I will take you as my own people. Isn't that interesting? And then he said he sang a psalm as they went out, and I think it was a psalm 118. <laughs> you see. Now, that was the, so the lamb was crucified on the 14th day, which was to be the Friday. So we, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday on a Sunday, but in fact it was probably Monday because it was the 10th when he came in. You can read it. It was, six, it was six days before Passover. And then the next day, he went to Jerusalem. So that would be 
for Monday. It, it fits in so well. So there was these four things that they in these cups that they looked at. I will bring you out. God has brought us out. Now Egypt is a huge picture of the old life, isn't it? That's what it is, being in bondage to our old life. Egypt speaks of that. I will free you from it. So he doesn't just bring us out and dump us. He frees us. He doesn't just take away our sin. He frees us from it. He doesn't just take us out of our bondage. He frees us. Frees. Jesus said, if you know the truth, if you know him, the truth will make you free what he's done for us. And then the cup which he took, I will redeem you, was the cup which he used as the cup for the new covenant, what we celebrate every, every month when the, in the communion. And then the fourth cup, I will take you as my own people. He's taking us to heaven to be his own people. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? When I get to heaven, I'm going to see my Jesus. When I get to heaven, I'm going to see his face. I get to heaven, I'm going to see my Jesus. Oh. Saved by his wonderful grace. Saved, saved. Wonderfully saved. You see, this is what God has done for us. In history, we can look back at what God has done. Our foundation is what he has actually done in physically done. It's not a theory. It's not some person sitting on a mountain and getting some fuzzy ideas into his head and coming down and saying, oh, this and this and this. If you do this and this and this, God No, it's not like... Our faith is based on a God who's alive, who works in people's lives, who through the Old Testament worked with people. And unlike most biographies today, when you look in the Bible, they don't gloss you all over the mess. They give it all because he wants to see because he's the God of Jacob as well. Whatever mess we're in. We see it all that he's a big God. I want to finish with Colossians 1. A wonderful little passage. Which almost mirrors the same ideas. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. See, Jesus Christ's righteousness was not just a theory. It was in history that he didn't sin. That's what it is. My faith is not just based on my feelings or on some words I say. My faith is built on a God who comes and does something. He's a living God who comes and does just what he wants to do in my life. He's a big God. My faith is not built on my looking at and saying a few words. My faith is built on what he has done in reality, in history, in my life. And he's promised to do more to take us to heaven, hasn't he? Right. We are giving thanks, in Colossians 1, unto the Father who hath made us, me or better, to be partakers of inheritance of the saints in light. That's the saints in heaven. Who? Who God has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, he said, I will bring you out. I will free you. We translated into a different kingdom under a different ruler. The other ruler has no authority over us. If you live in England, the president of, of France has no authority over your life. Don't care who he is. The president of, the, of America, wherever they may well be, never has any authority over your life because you live here. The queen has authority over your life. The person who is the people in charge in this country has authority over your life. They you will see. I've been translated from that place of darkness where only devil had control over my life. And people, doesn't matter how good a life people live, and whatever nice and happy they may well be, they are under, under the power of darkness. But we are not. 
We have been delivered, like the Israelites, out from underneath their things. Their gods couldn't hold them. The gods of this world can't hold you. You've been delivered, who delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He set me free. It's a wonderful truth. Make you jump up and down in the middle of the night. True. If you can get hold of it, because what we do is we look at our circumstances, and this is what he said, I want you to put this memorial every year to what I've done, so you can see what I've done and not look at where you are. Because we look at ourselves too much sometimes and we don't see what he's done. The glory of the God who's translated us from darkness into light, in whom we have redemption through his blood. I will redeem you. The parallel is amazing. I will redeem. We've been redeemed. We've been bought by God with a price beyond anything we could have imagined. If you don't think that, that darkness and the life out there, the life of sin, is not awful, then God would not have had to send his son. If it wasn't as bad as it says in the Bible it is, and your sin and my sin was not that bad, then he wouldn't need to have sent his son. But because it was so bad, he had to send Jesus. Because we were living in darkness and we didn't know it. He came and translated us by his son and bought him. The price he paid was his own son. The highest price anyone he could ever have paid. That's the reality of sin. The reality is most people don't realise how much of a sinner they are, so they're not grateful for what God's done. And when I saw that I, who, who attended church and sung hymns when I sat in our little outside loo when I was a little kid, I was in, still in darkness until he came and shone his glorious light into my life. And he gave me forgiveness of sin. It's because we're given forgiveness of sin and it's that we can go and live in heaven. We can't go and live in heaven unless we have forgiveness of sin. Don't kid yourself. People think they're going to heaven. But you can only go to heaven when he's forgiven your sin. So can you see how these verses are quite parallel? I was reading about that verse from somebody who was writing something about it and saying people don't realise what God has done. That he's delivered them from the power of darkness. He has no hold of me. I'm not under his authority. It's not the, it's the way that, when it says by the blood of the Lamb, it means because of the blood of the Lamb. It's a better translation. We don't use the blood of the Lamb. It's because he's done it. By his blood, he's transferred me from one kingdom. He's bought me for himself and, tran- and plonked me in his kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of wonderful freedom, of life and of joy, and of peace. Not depression. Not being bowed down weary all the time. But a spirit that lifts us and quickens us. That causes us to look up, to see him coming. Hallelujah. That's where we are. That's where we dwell this morning. Because he's done it, and he prefigured it in the Old Testament. You can see, I could see so many other passages we could look at to show the, that what God did and how it, with a type of Christ, delivered us from darkness into his, the kingdom of his own dear son. That's where we've been put this morning. And it's all prefigured in the prophecies right back there in Exodus. I will bring you out, the first cup. The second cup, I'll free you. The third cup, I'll redeem you. Which Jesus, we know and we celebrate. And I'll take you with my own people. Where he said, I'll drink it in heaven for you. So friends, whatever happens in our lives and what's ever happened in the church and we've all wondered what's going on, we need to lift up our eyes to the hills where our help comes from him. Him who dwells on high, 
who looks after us, who wants to keep, who wants us to understand what he's really done. That he has trans delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. We have such a thing to... F and he said, I want you to celebrate this because I want you to know. And that's why we do it. We celebrate something that happened in history. We celebrate the historicalness of his sacrifice for our sin and his coming alive again. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate it once a month here in the communion. Because he wants us. He says, I want you to, to keep your feet on the ground in the reality of what I have done. Because our Christianity is not airy-fairy ideas. It's truth and life. It's to do with the living God who's able to change us and cause things to happen in our lives that would astound us. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful God. And then when you read that little verse in Psalm 180, and this is what started me off. I would, this is where I started. In Psalm 118. Verse 23. Well, right, 22. Or 20, let's go back to 20. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now we do rejoice in every day that God gives us. But the day we do rejoice in is when he delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom. This is the day which we rejoice. The day when he saved us, when he took our sin upon the cross. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it because he's done it for us. Today, we rejoice in him today because he's done it. And we live in what he's done this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, that whatever happens in our lives, whatever happens, we know through history of our lives and what you did in Christ that we can trust you and your faithful 